are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. So uh, today we have Carl Za here again to discuss the history of Bruce Lee. So welcome, Carl. How are you doing today? Hi, Aisha. Um, so we, I'm just gonna uh, set the, I'm just gonna set the expectation that. We're going to talk about the family history of Bruce Lee because um, I, I feel the Bruce Lee story is, is pretty well documented, pretty well known. But what is less known is his family background. Like I remember when uh, the Bruce Lee biopic uh, Dragon came out you know, back in, this was what, 20 years ago? Um, I, I remember reading someone commenting that Bruce Lee's mother is mixed. So I thought, oh, that was interesting. So I start doing some digging around. And what I find out is that really the Bruce Lee's family history is really a history of Hong Kong, like a history of Hong Kong as the British colony. And, and it's, it's a story I, I don't think it's, uh, it's been told enough. So, so I, I would, I'm hoping to flesh out that story. Um, like the, the Bruce Lee origin story, if you will. That is a good clarification. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, it, his, after he enters the movies and what happened to him is very well documented, both in China and in Hollywood. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, um, so this is, I, this is how I got into researching Bruce Lee's family history. I thought, okay, well, how it was so it's interesting that uh, Bruce Lee's mom is mixed Eurasian. You know, how did that come about? So I started looking up her her side of the family, and it turns out uh, Bruce Lee's mom, Grace Ho, actually came from a very well-heeled Hong Kong family um, that was actually Hong, one of the Hong Kong's wealthiest family at the time, the, the, the famous Ho family. And the story rolled back uh, uh, like a hundred years story goes back to the Opium Wars mm-hmm. and it, and he starts with a Dutch uh, Dutch gentleman with Jewish extraction named uh, Henry Maurice Bozeman and Henry Maurice Bozeman was actually born in 1939 so he was born uh, Charles Henry Maurice Bozeman was born in 9- 1839, so around the time of the first Opium War, and he would make to he would make to Hong Kong in 1859, just right around the second Opium War was wrapping up uh, at at the ripe age of 20, and he was working. He came to Hong Kong to work for a Dutch coolie trading company uh you know the last episode when we talk about opium war i think you asked me what it is coolie um coolie like it's a literal translation it's a it's a transliteration from a chinese word coolie which in, in chinese literally means bitter labor ah uh, this yes and this this was when the, the background was in the second half of the 19th century much of the south america had abolished slavery uh, you know slave trade has been stopped essentially outside of the united states U- us was one of the last country to abolish slavery 
And it still officially has not abolished slavery because in the 13th Amendment, there is still a clause that says slavery is not legal except for as punishment for a crime. So they can still have slavery in prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is well known. I mean, like today, that's that's that was thank you for pointing it out. Indeed, that that's we still have slave labor in the in the vast uh, incarceration system in the United States. And sorry, one quick aside before we continue. Um, well, one thing that's really ridiculous is that the U.S. But we, we, we also had an episode about Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Uh, how do you pronounce it? I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, you're talking about oh Xinjiang. The, yeah, Xinjiang. Sorry, I mispronounce Xinjiang. it all the time. Okay, Xinjiang and the U.S. accuses China of having slavery, slave labor over cotton. But what people don't realize is that U.S. cotton is 100% made from prison labor. It's a lot of projection. You know, whenever there's like uh, U.S. propaganda about China, it's almost 100% projection. And in this case, so back in the late 19th century, as the slavery was being abolished, in across uh, much part of South America. Uh, now the, the plantation owners still want cheap labor. So instead they uh, they start to seeking alternative source. You know, they can't import slaves via uh, ships across Atlantic from Africa anymore. So they decide to import indentured ser- uh, servants. Mm. Uh, and, and, chi- and China was I to be a, a, a you know, one of the major supplying base because everyone is well known. China is the most populous nation. So at the end of the Second Opium War, um, in the Treaty of Beijing, it actually specified China must allow um, export of indentured servants abroad, and and because for for the longest time prior to the Opium War. Chinese citizen is actually forbidden to go overseas. Uh, um, this is a, a legacy of, um, you know, at the establishment of the Qing Dynasty, uh, the, the, the mean loyalists they went to, they fled to Taiwan and some offshore uh, islands uh, to continue his resistance. And the Qing wanted to cut off their, their support networks. So they, they banned Chinese uh, from going overseas. To, and they, they, they're forbidden to take take uh, residence abroad. Um, so that all ended with Opium War, and the Dutch they have set up a a a coolie trading firm in Hong Kong. Uh, by by then, Hong Kong already became a British colony as a result of the Opium War, and the the Dutch-born Henry Maurice Bozeman. 20 year old he came to work for uh the um he came to work for the dutch coolie trader cornelius um and very soon he took up a protected woman a local protected woman now this is a special term in the colonial hong kong um because the you know you're not supposed to marry local I mean that's the no-no. Like for the Europeans, you, you can't marry native, uh, and and in fact the native Chinese also don't want to marry their daughters to the Europeans. Um, so for the longest time, the the first Europeans arrive in China, 
the only option uh, they have for any type of sexual liaison is with um, this group of uh, outcasts called Tonkas. So Tonkas are sometimes also known as boat people, and they are they're the closest analogy that China has to maybe uh, to the to the uh, untouchable in India. Ah, okay, that makes sense. So, so because the Tonkas, they were uh, forbidden to land to to go over land. They lived their entire life on their boats on the waters. Oh, and I'm seeing some videos of people who live on the boats. I didn't realize they were forbidden to go on land. Right, and I mean, in in the early Qing Dynasty in the 1700s, uh, Emperor Yongzhen actually tried to abolish their uh, their low their their status, you know, to allow allow them to to integrate into society. But you know, the imperial decree is one thing that, that what happens on the ground is quite another. You know, they they continue to to live land marginalized by society. So only Tonka women, you know, would take foreign sailors as as their customers mm-hmm. in the sex. And, and in fact, that evolved, you know, in the Cantonese, Cantonese called them uh, saltwater girls, you know, just a euphemism for, for sex workers. And, and that, that the, today, that is, the term saltwater girl just applied to all sex workers. But back then was explicitly talking about these uh, Tonka women who work from their boats. And and so so initially when the European first came, most of the you know uh, sexual liaison between European and native women are between the Tonka women and and the European sailors, and but the protective women that Henry Maurice Bosman acquired is actually not she was actually not Tonka she um sh- her fast she grew up from a poor family. In the Yangtze River Valley, and then he, when she was young, she was literally sold down the river, and then you know she was uh, raised up to be, to engage in this trade, and and you know the again as I said, protective woman is a special term in colonial Hong Kong. They're not wives, they're not spouse, they're not even concubines. They are they have they. Have no legal status, need no legal rights. You know, they're at best a mistress. Um, and I have a quick question. So, in Imperial China, did concubines have any rights that rights that like you think traditionally that kind of belongs to a wife in the modern sense? So, in in, uh, in the traditional China, um, you know, like. Many rich, powerful men have many spouses. You know, you can have one wife. That you know, usually your wife is cho- is chosen in arranged marriage by your family. Right? That's your that's your legal wife, and her children, any children um, between her and you, that that will be the heir to the family to the family fortune, and. Then any other women you take in, in you know, you know, there will be your concubine. They, their status is below that of your of your main wife, and but their children still have rights to inherit. Uh, so this is this is different because my grandfather on my my dad's side, uh, you know, she, he 
he was born for a concubine. But as a as a male's son, he's still entitled to inherit from his father's property. Um, but but his brother didn't like that, <laughs> so 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 his brother arranged to have him married off, and then uh, so he. he to, to marry it off to a, a small landlord's daughter, my grandma, so he can um, he can be supported by the other other side of the family. Uh, but anyway, so so this is this is a kind of so I mean the concubine status is kind of ambiguous. They they don't have the rights full rights as a wife, but they're not they're not supposed to be slaves, right? They're not, yeah, they're not, um, and their children do have you know rights and. So in this case, um, the uh, Henry Maurice Boss Bossman acquires this protected woman, uh, and and then they start to have uh, a, a group, a series of children. Uh, I think up to four, they had four or five children together. Mm -hmm. And how many and years were they together? Like, were they together for a while, or was it a short? Um, yeah, so he was um, he's he stayed in Hong Kong until yeah he stayed in Hong Kong for a good ten years. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he he, he stayed. So he, he because um, you know coolie trade was flourishing at the time. <laughs> the, the 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 need for the European uh, colonizers plantation in South America. In this case, the Dutch Guyana. Uh, they require the he, Henry Bosman's job was to ship this quote-unquote immigrants to Dutch Guyana under his consular supervision, and in fact he he became uh, when he he came to Hong Kong in nineteen when he was twenty year old. By the time he was twenty four, uh, you know he became a partner uh, of the. I mean he became owner of the company. The company name was changed to Bosman and Company, and. He also became the official Dutch consul. Uh, you know, he, he was very high status. And, you know, even though his real job is just shipping coolies to to be to be indentured servants in Dutch Guyana. So by the go ahead. Okay, how did his firm get money? Like, did they literally sell the coolies to the landowners in South America or was it a commission basis? Um, you know, I, I don't know the exact uh, business working, but yeah, that's usually how the middleman works. They, they will normally they will, they promise they that the Chinese labors uh, a, 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 a salary, um, they, while they negotiate a different deal with uh, with the the, the, the peop people in South plantation in South America, and they arrange the for the shipping. You know, the, they charge the. The coolie labors for the for the shipping itself. Oh my God, that's even more exploitative. Yes, yes, yes. So a lot of coolies they actually landed uh, when they first landed uh, in South America. They're in debt. I mean, this is how indentured servant servitude works. And then they have to work several years to work off their debt. Um, and. And the he so he was uh, you know by by the by the time he was twenty nine and uh, he, he was already nine years in Hong Kong he became a part owner of the Hong Kong Hotel uh, he was a director of the Hong Kong Wang Hua Da co Company and so by 
any uh you know he was described by the dutch ambassador to britain as a prestigious man well received among the upper class and one of the most important businessmen with china and hong kong but his business was uh by the by by the after 10 years his business was not doing well and so he, he eventually he decided to sell his all the assets and left hong kong and leaving behind his protective woman miss Tse, and their five children and so she was uh, at at this point she was uh, only 28 and she became a concubine of a of a of a, another rich chinese uh, chinese merchant mr Kuo, and have a, go on to have another three children with him so bossman actually went to san francisco uh, where he courted um a daughter of a of a local, not really a local English real estate um, magnate who was still doing real estate development in uh, in San Francisco. Uh, uh, someone um, she married a certain Mary Agnes Forbes in San Francisco. Oh. In 1877, and then uh, so Miss Forbes' father, Alexander Forbes, was supposed is a supposedly well-known pioneer in the Bay Area, developing subdivision of land in San Rafael near San Francisco. And and then Bossman moved with uh, his new wife to uh, to London, where he became naturalized as a, as a British citizen. And this, so he basically left this, uh, his Chinese side of the family in Hong Kong. Um, and at this time, the Mr.'s uh, children were growing up to be teenagers, and they went to the central school in Hong Kong. So, so <laughs> when British took over Hong Kong, they they quickly did a survey, and they found out there's already uh, three Chinese schools in the area. So they consolidated the Chinese school and put put it under their control, and that's why it's called Central School. And and they're they're set up to educate you know the local Chinese children. So uh, Miss Her's children went to this central school, which later will rename be named Queen's College in Hong Kong. Uh, it, it's not clear who paid their school fees. I mean, maybe the Miss Her's new uh, sugar daddy paid pay for them. But the eldest son is uh, someone named Robert Robert Houghton. So. Uh, Henry Bozeman, his last name Bozeman, when transliterated into Cantonese, uh, um, somehow he became Bozeman, uh, and and so they took Ho as their family name. All the all the kids took Ho as their family name, and the eldest um, Robert Ho Tong, he graduated uh, from the Central School when he was sixteen. Uh, um, at in this was in uh, let's see um, so Robert Hotong graduated uh, Central School from Hong Kong in 1878 at age 16. Then he went to Guangzhou, uh, back then also called Canton, uh, to work for the Chinese Imperial Maritime Customs. Now, after the Second Opium War, British controlled the Chinese customs of Chinese customs but they needed uh, when they say British control you know they, they will have the, the head of the custom will be a British British man 
but to fully function, they still need people who have local language skills. And that's where people like Robert Houghton come from because because Robert Houghton grew up bilingual. He is fluent in in English and Chinese. And and he was the young one of the youngest uh, applicant at the Chinese Imperial Maritime Custom in Tantum in 1878 um, at age 16. And he got accepted because his uh, excellent language skills. Um, he worked for a couple years um, and then he decided to jump ship to greener fields and he joined Jardine Matheson. So Jardine Matheson. Yes, Jardine Matheson, the largest OPM uh, dealer uh, in trading company based in Hong Kong. Um, and and so he joined J- Jardine Matheson as a, a um, comprador. Comprador. So Comprador is basically the native manager for uh, for a European company, um, and and because his bilingual skills, you know, he's highly there. He, he's you know, a lot of the Compradors actually are Eurasian mm-hmm. because they're their bilingual skills, um, and he quickly rose in the ranks. So so in 1880, he became uh, he joined Jardine Matheson, and. Around this time, Jared Jardine Matheson was actually getting out of the opium trade, uh, not not because they found conscience. Uh, it's because um, through an ironic twist, Brit- Britain and France went into second opium war to force China to fully legalize the opium trade. So as response, when opium trade was fully legalized, in, in including cultivation, Soon, a lot of the Chinese provinces start to cultivate and planting opium, and 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 China became self-sufficient in opium towards the end of the 19th century. There is no more need for imported opium from British India. There's no more profit in it, and, and uh, so Jardine Matheson was getting out of that import-export business, and and then uh, but. You know, Jar- but Jerry Matheson was getting into other, uh, expanding into the other businesses. So, for example, um, the opium was uh, uh, now grown in inland China. My, um, you know, I was born in Sichuan Province, Hongqing, Sichuan. Sichuan Province became one of the biggest opium growing regions in China. So, Sichuan Province is where all the spicy food comes from, right? I'm sorry. Is that the region where they have really spicy food? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's in the upper reach of the Yangtze River, and the opium grown will be harvested and loaded onto boats and sailed down the Yangtze to to the rest of the China. So one of the uh, thing that Jardine Matheson controlled is shipping because they have steamships. They were able to sail past the three gorges. Um, and 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 pretty soon, pretty soon they control the shipping along the Yangtze River. Uh, you know, pretty. You know, if you look at the the map, they, they were Jardine Matheson's ship were were sailing to Chongqing. You know, which is pretty deep into inland China. And like the, the the European capital, pretty much infiltrated uh, every part of the Chinese life by that time. And 
And uh, but Robert Hotong, because of his bilingual skills and and personal business acumen, he quickly rose in the ranks of Jardine Matheson. And in fact, he would become the head comprador in 1894. Uh, his quick rise led to a widespread rumor that he is in fact the bastard child of William Jardine himself, the the, the head opium uh, smuggler. And uh, people, uh, I don't know. So, so James Clavel, the author of the book Shogun, he he also wrote a couple, uh, a Hong Kong series starting with Taipan, uh, because I was a fan of Shogun, so I went to read Taipan, <laughs> and few page into it, I realized Taipan was basically a biography. Was basically a book. About the life of William Jardine, the the opium smuggler, and mm-hmm. totally lot is totally lionized William Jardine as uh, as uh, the protagonist. And in the book, you know, he based his characters on real people from Hong Kong history. So his main character Dirk Strom is actually based on William Jardine. And there's a there's a Dirk Strom's half Chinese son, Gordon Chan. Is based on Robert Houghton. Ah, yes. And and Gordon Chan was in the. There was a 1980s movie, uh, mini mini series, a movie or mini series, uh, Taipan that was that came out starring Joan Chan, um, as uh, William Jardine's mistress, and Gordon Chan was played by Russell Wong. Um, but anyway, so so. This is just a little little pop culture reference, and Robert Houghton then, uh, after a few years, he decided, you know what, he doesn't need, well, um, he doesn't need Jardine Matheson anymore. So he started his own company with his brothers, because uh, his brothers were also um, uh, con- compradors in the Jardine Matheson with him. So they started their own company. Um, and eventually, he had he had four brothers. He had three brothers, four brothers, four brothers. And out of the, of his brothers, uh, you know, almost all his brothers are Eurasian, with one exception. Well, one exception is Ho Kan Pong. <laughs> Ho Kan Pong is a grand maternal grandfather of Bruce Lee. Ah. So, he his parentage is uh is kind of a family secret because everybody else had uh, Henry Boseman registered on their birth certificate registered as uh, the father uh, you know except Ho Kan Tong you know Ho Kan Tong is fully Chinese <laughs> and so so I guess you know the their mother was not a was a protected woman but was not exclusive to ah Henry Maurice Boseman and. and so anyway, the but but Robert Houghton, he being the eldest son, uh, you know, it's it's all through networks and connections. The 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 the, re, the 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 reason he got into Jardine Matheson is because his older sister married a comprador, uh, in in a a, a Eurasian comprador in Jardine Matheson. So he he was able to get a leg up, uh, you know, through through network his network getting in because like i say uh, at the time the eurasians they because they occupy kind of the 
straddle two worlds and because they're bilingual skills they uh many concordors were eurasian and also the uh you know this was a hong kong was a very racist society uh in some way it still is um and at that time the europeans you know they would not marry chinese you know that's just out of the question uh, but the chinese family would also not allow their daughters to marry europeans um so you know all these uh all these children out of the eurasian children out of the wedlock they they are occupy a kind of ambiguous space and 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 also you know they they the the europeans would not want to marry the half so what the back then call half breeds and the chinese would also would not marry the 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 mixed cho- uh, the uh, mixed eurasian so the so eurasians marry each other uh um, and and the robert hotong he um so he married the daughter of a jardine matheson uh 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 one of the J- jardine matheson partner uh his the half the mixed child between this Jardine Matheson uh, partner and his native uh, Chinese protected woman, I guess. Mm-hmm. He married, uh, this is became his uh, first wife. And, and this is how he, you know, got his leg in, one leg in into Jardine Matheson. But eventually he, be- he accumulated enough capital and connection, he decided to stri- strike out on, his, out on his own with his brothers. And by the late by the early 20th century, Robert Hotel became the wealthiest man in Hong Kong. He was the first million in Hong Kong. And that created a lot of um, mixed feelings on the British colonial government because, uh, you know, when, when they first occupied Hong Kong, they intended the Hong Kong for reserve Hong Kong for themselves. And when in, in 1904, the new British governor, uh, acting governor, arrived, uh, at that time, Ho Tung already had a large family. His, uh, his, his first, he didn't have any children with his first wife, so he followed the Chinese custom. He took a concubine and then still no children. So his first wife suggested that he marry her cousin uh, mm-hmm. as a co-wife. Uh, so, so then he married his first his first wife's cousin, uh, and then with her, he have a bunch of children. So his family was getting large. So he rented. He decided to rent a large house on top of the Victoria Peak. Now, Victoria Peak is the highest uh, ground in Hong Kong, and it was primarily, you know, European residents. And and then when the British colonial governor arrived, he found Robert Hotong and his large family living above him, his own compound, and he was outraged. It's like, who is this half Chinese man and his Chinese family living above, literally living above me? Then uh, he called a meeting. You know, he he raised a big stink and and he, he called up the. The owner of the house, the Hong Kong judge, is like, how how dare you rent your house to the to this this half Chinese businessman? And the the the, the judge would just just wanted to make some money. He said, like, you know, you know, it's he's not too bad. He's a he's a millionaire, and and besides, he's only half Chinese. <laughs> 
and uh, and and then this is when Robert Houghton's brother Ho Kantong, Bruce Lee's grandfather, would come to visit. He will often come to visit his big brother's family, and he, he decided he liked Victoria Peak too. So Ho Kantong, the two brothers, then start planning to buy houses. So Robert Houghton first bought a house in, on Victoria Peak, and then Ho Kantong planned to buy a lot next to his brother and build a house, and that alarmed the British governor so much that passed the Victoria Peak Reservation Ordinance. Of 1904, to specifically prevent Bruce Lee's grandfather from buying a house on top of Victoria Peak, so the 1904 Victoria Peak Reservation、uh, Ordinance specified the Victoria Peak of Hong Kong is reserved for Europeans only. Wow, no reason they're given because those Chinese filthy living habit breeds disease. You know the Europeans needs to have a place in Hong Kong to reserve their their segregated. The Victoria、uh, Reser、um, Peak Reservation of 1904. The ostensible reason given was to protect the health of the European residents because the 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 the, the Chinese filthy living habit is extremely unhygienic and 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 breeds disease. So the Europeans must be protected to have their own bubble. Wow, Victoria. Well, this is was the official reason, and and it's also bogus because at this time these upper class,、um, a British and European household living on Victoria Peak, the average household would have twenty Chinese servants. All right. And、so, on top of it, the Europeans had spread diseases all over Asia and Africa. And North and South America, where they kill, the European disease killed a significant portion of the indigenous people. So, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, they're fine to have a household full of these Chinese servants serving their needs, but they just don't want Chinese family living next to them, right? Because it, I mean, like this still goes on in U.S. today. You know, yeah, people. So people understand that. They they want Mexican gardeners, but they don't want Mexican families <laughs> living in their neighborhood.、Um, exactly. So, but but this is Hong Kong, right? So so this is they Victoria Peak at the time was、uh, referred to as a Little Britain, you know, that they're they're it's reserved for the British. So but but Robert because Robert Houghton already grandfathered in, he bought the house before the ordinance passed, so he became the sole exception.、Uh, but His younger brother, Bruce Lee's grandpa, was not allowed to buy a house. <laughs> I'm just curious.、Um, so you gave us a glimpse of how the wealthy lived. How did the poor live in Hong Kong around this time? Um. Okay. So a lot of people were at the、um, after eight after the Opium War. A lot of people were pouring into Hong Kong because、um, there was. Political instability and wars on mainland China.、Uh, you know, following the Opium War, there was a Taiping Rebellion, one of the bloodiest civil war in the 20th century.、Um, some estimate over 20 million people died.、Mm -hmm. And so, so the whole Pearl Delta、uh, from Hong Kong to Guangzhou 
the provincial capital was a war zone. So many people, this is also a, why a lot of people, even though some of them are actually aware of the horrendous working condition abroad, they still willingly signed up for the coolie trade to go, you know, work in mines and, and plantations in all across the world. Um, because their their homeland was was being wrecked at 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 this point, and so many refugees pour into Hong Kong. So before, um, before the Opium War, uh, Hong Kong was a group of fishing villages because um, a lot of the coasts were depopulated by the imperial decree, uh, as I mentioned earlier during the early Qing Dynasty, because the Ming loyalist uh, holdout on Taiwan. The, the Qing wanted to cut off supplies and all links to the to the to the Min loyalist force. So the order all the households uh, from on the coast to clear out like 15 kilometers from the like they they clean out clean, cleared out 15 uh, kilometer width of land from the coast and not allow people to live. And and so so it's a lot of the coasts were, were, were uh, you know place where pirates hang out and uh, and, uh, uh, and and then some Hakka um, some Hakka, because Hakkas are recent immigrants into the region so these Hakkas arrived and settled in Hong Kong uh, when it was was already got depopulated uh, so when, when when British first arrived they found a group of Hakka villages in Hong Kong and then later when um, when the, the Taiping Rebellion went in full force on the mainland, a lot of the refugees came to Hong Kong. That's when a lot of Cantonese speakers came. Um, and, and, and so a lot of um, refugees, so they are not allowed to live on the mountains. So they have to live in the lowland. Um, and because, because suddenly this um, importing of refugees, there's an overcrowding um, on the, on the, on the, this, there's there's a, in the so-called Chinese quarters in Hong Kong, right? Because <laughs> this Hong Kong is a segregated city. There's the European quarters on Victoria Peak, and then below them, uh, so the racial hierarchy is literally replicated on the geography of Hong Kong, right? With the British and Europeans on top, and the Chinese on the bottom, and 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 because of the overcrowding. And uh, and and a lot of the uh, new immigrants were crowded into this very densely packed um, the ramshackle apartments. So so yes, you know the hygienic hygienic condition were not ideal. I mean this is the the same story replicated across the world. You know, the, the time peak. This is what people were saying about the immigrants ruining New York at the same time, right? Yeah. London had the same thing uh, because of all the factories would like dump their sewer down river and then so uh, because the factories were dumping their chemicals the place where the poor people lived was smelly and chemical laced and unhygienic and so on yeah I mean in, in the late 19th century United States people just blame the immigrants but in uh, in the British colony of Hong Kong you know, there's a newly there's a racialized uh, angle, right? Like everything's blamed on the Chinese for their unhygienic habits, uh, you know, and uh, the Chinese are branded as spreading disease. And this was official, listed as an official reason for why they need to reserve Victoria Peak 
for the Europeans. Mm-hmm. And, and, and But the real reason is because around the turn of the 20th century, the group of Chinese businessmen exemplified by the likes of Robert Houghton and uh, and Bruce Lee's grandpa Ho Kantong, they they are starting to become wealthier than the Europeans. And that's mm-hmm. very uncomfortable for the British colonial authority, right? Because because um, you know, the because their their society, the, the British Empire was basically created to serve the wealthy. Um, and now the Chinese are not supposed to be wealthy, right? <laughs> because this is supposed to serve wealthy Europeans. And, and now suddenly all these, this, there's a rich Chinese merchant class who, uh, you know, who, who, who outgrow them in wealth. And that, that, so that made the British officials very uncomfortable. Um, and, and this is why the, the, the manifestation of that is specifically comes to when their their total freak out when uh, Bruce Lee's grandpa was trying to buy a house on, on the Victoria Peak, and and then um, Robert Ho Tong actually and and his bro- younger brother Ho Kan Tong they actually su- uh, supported um, Chinese revolution reformers and revolutionaries. They financed Doctor Sun Yat Sen and his revolutionary activity. So um, Bruce Lee's grandpa Ho Kantong's residence house in Hong Kong now holds the Sun Yat-sen Museum in Hong Kong. Uh, because when Sun Yat-sen was, uh, was on the run from the Qing government, he took refugees in Hong Kong and he stayed with, uh, with the Ho Tong, with the Ho Tongs and the Ho Kantong uh, families. So the British actually offered refuge for people who were uh, on the bad side of the Qing government? Ah, so this is interesting. So, so Robert Houghton actually got in trouble with the British government for doing this because from the British point of view, they have a very pliable government in Beijing, you know, who answerable to their every win. And Ho Kantong's hosting of these uh, rabble-rousers is complicating their relationship with, with, uh, with the Qing government. So, so they actually called up uh, Ho Kantong, uh, Robert Ho Tong and Ho Kantong into the principal's office or into the colonial office and give them a, a, a verbal lashing, uh, you know, like they, they were, they, they were um, reprimanded for, for their financing of Sun Yat-sen. Ah, okay. Yeah, 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 because, uh, the, because the British didn't want to rock the boat. They had a pretty Good, sweet gig going on in China. They saw the Qin was a uh, was after the Opium Wars and after Boxer Rebellion had become um, a pliable, a pliable proxy, and and they, they didn't want to jeopardize that by by you know Robert Houghton sponsoring a revolution. Ah, oh, that and, makes sense. Actually, in India, they did something very similar because when you see uh, British like set missionaries everywhere. But when you read the East India Company records in British uh, Parliament, the head of the East India Company is arguing vehemently against sending Christian missionaries uh, to India because apparently it will offend the local uh, people like they cared. And then when you finally realize that they had formed an alliance with one of the Marathi kings, and that was just his deal, is that, okay, I will let you uh, extract resources, but you you kind of have to let us, you can't 
bring your religion. And they're like, okay, cool. So it seems like they did that everywhere, where each area they had different conditions and they were okay with it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so one time Robert Houghton actually, uh, he went to, he visited London and on his way back, he tried to land in United States, but he was refused landing and he got deported back to Hong Kong. Why? Is this... Okay. So this time United States has a famous Chinese exclusion act, right? Uh, but there was a clause. Making exemption for businessmen and students, so so Robert Houghton thinks thought he would um, qualify under the business exemption, but then the uh, custom officials they just need a reason. So they say, "No, we 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 are refusing your entry because you have two wives. You're a polygamist." <laughs> <laughs> because he brought his both of his wives along on the trip. Uh, it was, uh, and then they're like, no, no, we, we, we can't, we can't allow polygamy on the soil of the United States. We're deporting you to Hong Kong. Um, so yeah, so he has that on his record. And, and then in, um, so his, so Rob, Robert Houghton has two wives and one concubine, uh, but his brother Ho Kan Tong, um, Bruce Lee's grandpa has 12 wives. Oh, what? And yes, and, and, and finally... How can he afford all that? Well, he was rich, one of the richest... And Robert Houghton was the richest man in Hong Kong. Ah. And uh, Han Tong is also up there with... They're like, the, 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 the three brothers were in the, in the business together. So they're the richest man in Hong Kong. And and so Ho Kan Tong had 12 wives. And finally, his older brother, Robert Houghton, said like, Look, look, man, this, this is getting out of hand. You don't need to bring all of them into the family. You know, you can't have mistresses. You can't have mistresses outside the family. Keep your women outside the family. You don't have to bring all of them in. So, so he had, in, in addition to his 12 wives, he has many mistresses. And, and they're, um, they also have busy. Yeah. They had, Did, uh, because they had, they had, um, I have a quick uh, question. Go, go ahead. Did they have dowry back then? Like, did he have to pay the wife's dowry or? <laughs> um, I mean, in China, North and South is quite different. But but back in those days, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure uh, how it works in the Cantonese area. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I can't. I mean, Bruce Lee's grandfather could afford it. Okay. Just curious. Okay. Literally. They're, they're millionaires. They're millionaires. Okay. They, they, he could afford it. Uh, then he was, um, so he had, he had a lot of mistresses and they also have a lot of business dealing in Shanghai because Shanghai was opened up as one of the treaty ports after the Weeping War. And, uh, even though Hong Kong was ceded to Britain, but Shanghai was actually the center of the European activity in China. So uh. all, all of them have, have residents in Hong Kong, but they all set up, uh, branches in Shanghai. So. Bruce Lee's grandfather, Ho Kan Tong, and Robert Ho Tong's son, they were working in Shanghai, and uh, and that's where Ho Kan Tong had many mistresses, um, and and including one possibly white Russian mistress, with whom he had two children, a son and a daughter, and and for some reason, like this. This mistresses that he couldn't bring back home to Hong Kong, um, 
for whatever reason, he so he um he led one of his other mistress, his Eurasian Eurasian mistress, to adopt this uh, the, the daughter Grace Toll, uh, and because uh, the the Eurasian mistress is is uh, related to Robert Hotong's second wife, uh, you know, because like I said, Robert Hotong. He, he his wives are also Eurasians, like multi second or third generation Eurasians, and uh, and because uh, this mistress um, happens to be related to Robert Hotong's second wife, so she was accepted into in the Hong Kong family compound, and 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 that's why Grace Ho actually grew up um, spending a lot of time in the Robert Hotong's mansion on Victoria Peak. And and because his mother would always take her, his adopted her adopted mother will always take her there to, to visit um, her cousin or something that, that was Robert Holcomb's wife, and and uh, so so Grace Ho actually grew up with a silver spoon. Grace Ho is uh, Bruce Lee's mom, uh, and her. But one day, um, her dad Ho Kantong will host a Cantonese opera performance inside the family mansion and starring of the Cantonese opera is one very athletic young man and this was Bruce Lee's father and Grace Grace Ho I don't know if it's love on first sight or Grace Ho fell for this uh, young performer at a Cantonese opera of course this is a big scandal you know like Ho Kampo is one of the wealthiest men in Hong Kong, and he would not allow his daughter to marry some actor, you know, Cantonese opera actor. So Grace Ho eloped. He 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 decided to elope with uh, with this handsome acrobat of the Cantonese uh, opera troupe, and this is how Bruce Lee came. Uh, you know, this is this is how Bruce Lee's parents got together, um, and. And but his his father was actually a very famous uh, Cantonese opera performer. So in 1940, they were invited to come to United States to perform in San Francisco. And Grace Ho at the time was already pregnant. Um, so again, you know, because in 1940, the Chinese Exclusion Act is still in full effect, okay. right? So they had to be interviewed through the custom and everything. And so. During one of the custom interview of Grace Ho, Bruce Lee's mom, she said, "Oh, my, my, my dad is Chinese, but my mom is a full English woman." <laughs> I don't know if she was just uh, fibbing the the custom official or or like because her 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 parentage is, was kind of mystery in the whole family because uh, you know because she was adopted by one of. Ho Kantong's mistress. Everybody pretty sure he's, she's Ho Kantong's daughter, but not quite sure about her mom. Ah, anyways, so she could have been like British, for all we know. She could be, uh, but the, what I read was she was a uh, daughter of uh, Ho Kantong's white Russian mistress. Ah, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because because uh, because you know, like she maybe her mother was too spicy to be brought back to to the family to to Hong Kong. That's why. Anyway, that makes sense. And and, um, and so 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 when they were traveling to San Francisco, Grace Ho was already pregnant. So in November 1940, um, 
Grace Hole gave birth to Bruce Lee in San Francisco,、uh, in San Francisco Hospital, and, and so Bruce Lee was born、American. on, yeah, he was born in the on the U.S. soil, and his first given name was Li Zhengfan. So. Uh, San Francisco was transliterated into Chinese as San Francisco, and his name, given name Li Zhengfan, literally means the Lee who shook up San Francisco. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs>、uh, but only four months after, so after Bruce Lee was born, his dad's opera、uh, tour was over.、Um, they returned back to. They returned back to Hong Kong April uh 1941, <laughs> and you know this is just a few months before Pearl Harbor. Like eight months later, Jet Japan Japanese、uh, would bomb Pearl Harbor, and then they would, would launch attack on Hong Kong, and so so they would go through a, a very difficult period of time. The the, the Houghton family.、Um, I'm not sure what exactly happened with、uh, Bruce Lee's family during the during the Japanese、um, occupation, but、uh, the but the Houghton family,、uh, his and and Ho Kantong, his、uh, mother's father, their side of the family escaped to Macau. They they saw the writing on the wall, so they escaped to Macau across a bay. Uh, because Macau is a Portuguese colony, and Portugal at the time ostensibly is a neutral country. Well, it so, was a fascist country, so <laughs> yeah, neutralism. Yeah, it's a fascist country,、uh, but but it, it, it decided to stay out of the war. So they,、um, so the 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 whole family relocated their family fortune to Macau, and that's where Robert Houghton's one of his other brothers' grandson. Uh, Stanley Ho would、um, would marry local Portuguese magistrate's daughter, and、uh, yeah, when you say Portuguese, Portuguese in Macau they they intermarry with the local for generations. They don't、mm-hmm. have kind of the the British.、Uh, they don't have the British thing about segregation. Yeah, the Portuguese even in Africa and Brazil they just married everyone, and so yeah, it was the different、yeah, so- relationship. Yeah, yeah. In fact, even in Hong Kong, like that, that that, that I, I talk about the, the the topography of Hong Kong's racial hierarchy. So Victoria Peak on the top up is reserved for so-called white Europeans, the British and the other white Europeans. The the Portuguese, because they have been intermarrying with Chinese for generations, they live in the middle level. Ah. <laughs> And then the Chinese live on the bottom. Then, right? So this is a. It's literally a higher. It's a multi-step ladder. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a literal racial hierarchy, and and so Stanley Ho he married、um, he married the the local Portuguese magistrate's daughter. That allowed him to be granted the gambling license. Ah, so then he could open a casino. Yes, then he became the the casino magnate of Macau.、Uh, Stanley Ho,、uh, they he controlled Macau's gambling business for for decades until、uh, until most recently when they finally opened up、uh, the gambling monopoly, allow all the Las Vegas、uh, Las Vegas companies to move in. So now Sands and everybody they're making more money in Macau than Vegas. Oh wow. It, it, yeah. India, Macau is always known as like a 
place where it's like a tourist honeymoon place. So, oh. yeah, my a lot of people go from India, I guess. Yeah, I did. It's, it has a very interesting architecture. You know, it has the old uh, colonial Portuguese architecture uh, that survived. Um, but the, the the local population is still mostly Chinese. I mean, just like Hong Kong, and and then um, the so so this is a this is a the, the origin story of Bruce Lee. And and I thought when I read that, I'm like, this is the story of Hong Kong, basically. Yeah. Um, from Opium War through Japanese occupation to. Uh, to the present day, and uh, this is uh, hopefully this is what what you expected. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of what I expected. Um... Music for this show is done by Rectex. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W R E C K T E C H. And thank you for listening to our show. <laughs>